0: Good morning. How's everybody doing? Guys awake? Are you sure? Are you you sure? I'm just making sure. I just want to check. Hey, I want to let you know, first of all, we're obviously continuing our all-in sermon series. And as we jump into this idea of what it means to be all-in, we're going to be looking at the power of the church. And over the last really week, 10 days, two weeks, whatever it is that we've seen what's going on in Ukraine, um, I have been in contact with a relationship, a friend, a pastor in Romania, who the last, for the last six days has been driving five and a half hours every morning uh, up to the border uh, with, U- with Ukraine, and they are trucking, I say trucking, trucking, giving transportation uh, to, to refugees who are fleeing uh, the, the, the nation of, the, of Ukraine. And so uh, as we jump into that, I want you to think about this idea of the power of the church Working together. As a matter of fact, one of the ways we're going to consider, we're going to ask you to give if you feel led to give uh, above and beyond your tithe. We're going to ask you to give to this because one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to help support them. They're spending five and a half hours a day in a car driving up, so they need gas money. But they are also feeding these refugees. A lot of the refugees are are coming out of Ukraine. Some are hitting uh, uh, trains and buses, and they're heading to to uh, England or, or Spain or France or Germany or wherever they can go. Others are staying in Poland. Um, but my friend, his name's Christy, like I said, he's a pastor in Rimniku Volce, Romania. Matter of fact, we've been out there twice uh, when we were serving at my last church, um, and it's just a great, awesome opportunity that he's had to share the gospel. He's got to pray with people, um, and I want you to think about this. We talk about and think about this, this whole idea, today is the day that you have made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I think of how many times I wake up and go, oh, serious. I got to go through another day, right? The same old, same old, the monotonous routine of what goes on. But yet I want to be, I want to encourage us and I want to be challenged that every day that the Lord gives me is another day that he has made that I can rejoice and be glad regardless of the circumstances and situations and the difficulties because he has everything in his hand. And so as you feel led to give, if you wanna give, you can give. When you give, you can give today. Um, you can give over the next couple weeks, couple months. We're gonna do that to support um, their ministry that's going on right now um, there in Romania. And there's lots of other ways. I mean, you can, you can give to Missouri Baptist Disaster Relief, who's gonna forward it on to another disaster relief agency as they're over there. And so those are the ways that, that you can get involved. I wanna encourage you to pray. Uh, to continue to pray. Um, I have heard of Christians and believers who decided not to leave, even though they haven't picked up arms. They decided not to leave because they were going to pray over and pray for the protection of the people who stayed, the the, the military, the soldiers, and different things like that. And they said, we're going to fight on our knees. Um, And so I want to encourage us to be a church that prays. Yes, we want to pray uh, for for the salvation of those here in Independence, but we want to pray for those around the world as well who are brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to invite you tonight at 4.30. We're going to have our all-in vision night. I want to encourage you to be here. We've got a meal planned for you afterwards, but, but it's, it's our way to look uh, and, and to grow and to say, hey, here's how we want to continue, or here's ways we can look at, at looking at our strengths and weaknesses within the church and how we can use our strengths and our weaknesses to begin to reach more people here in the city, and in, of, uh, city of Independence and really Kansas City and around the world with the gospel. So today we're going to be looking at the church. I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And I don't know when. I know I have preached from this. I was trying to go back and look. I usually keep pretty good notes. I could not find it within the last four years. If you can prove me wrong, I don't know. I, I couldn't find it. Anyways, but I have preached from this text before, um, but I wanted to answer a couple questions. So Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. And I want you to think about it this way. Today, In our world, there are hundreds and thousands of buildings around the United States and around the country that the world calls churches, right? Some are strong and some are weak. Some are large and some are small. Some are healthy and some honestly are on their deathbed. And the problem with the way we oftentimes look at it is when somebody says, do you go to church? What do we first say? Well, yeah, I go to whatever the name of the church is. And what I want us to look at and see is the power of the church and how the power of the church is or what the power of the church really is what we can be thankful for. Listen, I'm thankful for the churches around the nation that stand on the gospel. I'm thankful for the churches around the world who are passionate about reaching the lost. And I believe that we have to be passionate about those things. But the church, listen, is more than just a building. As a matter of fact, it's not a building. The church is a body or an organism. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it's the body of Christ that God uses to proclaim the truth, and I believe as well to change the culture from the inside out. See, the church is the body of Christ. Like as we read scripture, we are the bride of Christ, we are the body of Christ, we are called to be a flock, but we're called to also be a a fellowship, and we're going to work together in unity around and in obedience around the gospel and around the clock to be the very church that's going to change the people or to influence people to change through uh, uh, an encounter with Jesus Christ. Martin Luther King Jr. says this, I see the church as the body of Christ, but oh, how we've blemished and scarred that body through the social neglect and the fear of being non-conformists. See, the reality is that the church is not to conform to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our what? Minds then you will know God's perfect and pleasing will. So Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. If you would, I'm gonna do this. We've kind of gotten out of this habit. Let's stand together as we read scripture. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. You can follow along on the screens if you don't have your Bible. And this is what he says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, which is about 30 miles or so north, it's just north of the Sea of Galilee, it says he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And I love how Jesus always turns the script, because we like to always talk about everybody else, right? Like, what's everybody else say about me? But then Jesus comes and goes, yeah, well, what about you, right? What about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and I want to keep in mind this idea of Peter, which also means rock. Peter's name was originally Cephas. He gets the new name from Jesus earlier on in the gospel. But it says, "And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will never overcome it. I will give you the keys, or I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth." will be loosed in heaven, and then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he is the Christ. Let's pray, and you can have a seat, and then we'll uh, continue. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, and God, we pray that that is the very thing we would build everything upon, that we would learn to be obedient followers of you, that we would understand that our power does not come in anything that we can do, but our power only comes through you. And so it's in the name of Jesus we pray, and all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. All right, as we jump into this idea of being all in, I want you to think about what power is and where we get our power, because a lot of people would say things like this. I've seen it in the past. Well, if you just claim it, Jesus said you got it. If you just claim it, you got it, right? And while to a certain extent that could somewhat be true, the reality is that most people in the church have to begin to understand that the power in the church comes not from what we do, it comes from who we are because of who we are in Christ. The very essence of being a power or having the power of Jesus in the church is the very thing that Jesus says, without me you can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, the church is hopeless, it's useless it's void, it's powerless, it has no control over everything. And here's one of the struggles oftentimes within the church. We go, well, I got Jesus, so I'm ready to go to hell in a handbasket. We can go. I'm going to take on Satan. And trust me, you don't just walk out and go, oh, I'm going to fight Satan with whatever I got. Because it's not about you. It's about what God does in you. It's about God working in you. It says that all authority and in heaven and on earth has been given to who? The church? To who? Jesus. And so it's when the church operates in obedience to the Son of God, when the church operates in obedience to God the Father, then we walk in the power because it's not our power, It's not our strength, it's not our conditions, it's not any of those things. It is simply the power of God working in the church. Now, here's the big statement. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this. The power of the church, listen, rests on our confession of Christ and his power at work in us. Listen to what happens in this text. It says that Jesus had gone into a region called Caesarea Philippi. It's north of the Sea of Galilee. And as he's going, he asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they begin to answer, right? Oh, some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah, and some say you're Jeremiah, and some of the other prophets. And I want you to think about it in this terms. Like, when you have a conversation with people about who Jesus is, they have all kinds of beliefs, all kinds of ideas. As a matter of fact, if you know uh, or have a relationship with somebody who's not a follower of Jesus, I would just basically simply ask them that question. Hey, who do you say Jesus is? Right? Because they're going to say things like this. Well, he was a great man, great teacher. Some are going to say he was a prophet, but he's not God. And so as these questions begin to go on and on and on, you begin to find out really where people line up. And Jesus is like, that's great. That's where people are at. That's where people are viewing. That's what people see. And as we see what's going on, I ask this question, who do people say Jesus is? Right, like I have to begin to ask that. Who do people say Jesus is? And listen, as we dig into this, all throughout the world, there are different beliefs about who Jesus is. If you were to ask Muslim people who Jesus is. They would say he was a great teacher. He's a great prophet. He's not the son of God, but he was a great person. Matter of fact, Muslims would say that they somewhat follow Jesus' teachings because they do think he was a prophet in some way, but they don't believe he died on the cross. They don't believe he was the son of God. They don't believe he was the Messiah or anything like that. Same with Jewish people. Jewish people would look at Jesus and go, man, yeah, Jesus was a prophet. He was a great guy. But he's not the Messiah. He's not the one that was to come, that was to deliver us from the rest of the world. So who do people say that Jesus is? As a matter of fact, as we look at that, it says that some say he was John the Baptist. Listen, here's what's crazy. When you think about this idea or this mentality where they say, some say John the Baptist, listen to what John says. The the, the elder John says about John the Baptist, right? John chapter one, starting in verse 29, says this. It says, the next day, John, this is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What did John the Baptist just say who Jesus is? The Lamb of God, or the Son of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Of the world. John the Baptist makes the claim that Jesus is the Messiah, that there is no other way to a relationship with God other than through Jesus. Matter of fact, John later in John chapter 14 uses the very words of Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so as we begin to see this, people can say all kinds of things. Well, he was John the Baptist, or he was Elijah, or he was one of the prophets in Jeremiah. But what we see all throughout the text and all throughout Scripture is this, that John the Baptist, that Elijah, that Jeremiah, and even the other prophets proclaim the good news of the coming Messiah. And what we see in Jesus is the fulfillment of every one of those prophecies that takes place throughout Scripture. And so when the people look, they're looking at the Old Testament scriptures. They're looking at the very word of God and yet they're still missing the mark. They're still missing out on who Jesus is. They see him as a great man, a great teacher, a great philosopher, a great prophet, but they miss out on it. And what I love about John, if you read John chapter one and and, and even the following, listen to what he says. This is the one who I meant in verse 30 when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And here's what's crazy. In the midst of baptizing, these people, so that the Messiah would be revealed to the people of Israel. Then in verse 32, it says this, Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. If you know anything about the rest of the Gospels, (coughs) excuse me, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they reference the baptism of Jesus, it says that Jesus was there, that the Father gave his approval of his Son, and that the Spirit descended on him. Like a dove. And so when John says this, what John is doing is making a statement that Jesus is the only way, that Jesus is the one who came, whose sandals, or whose sandals I'm not even in the ability to carry. And so who is Jesus to everybody else doesn't really matter, because who Jesus is based upon Scripture is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away The sins of the world. See, the problem comes when Jesus made some very absolute claims about himself as Lord and Messiah, and yet everybody else wants to continue to deny it. Because you can't acknowledge Jesus as a good teacher or a great prophet if you deny the very things he teaches. See, that's where the rubber meets the road in Christianity versus what we'll call a deistic belief. Right? When somebody says, Oh, I follow God and I follow Jesus, but I also follow the teachings of so many other people. Can't have one and have Jesus. That's called deism. Now you're operating in the realm of Hinduism, which says that everything under the sun is God's. Like right? cows are gods. And everything else. Jesus is either the God, he is the son of God, operating in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, or Jesus is a liar. Josh McDowell had a great book that he wrote, and he says Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. So that's where we come to. Jesus is asking, who do people say I am? But then we get to a heart of the next question. Jesus asks Peter, Peter, who do you Say that I am. And I think it's important for us to understand this because no matter what everybody else says or believes about Jesus, the question comes down to this. Who do you say Jesus is? That's what matters. That's what matters within the church because the power of the church rests in the very thing with with which you claim do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the perfect one, the holy one, the one who had no sin in him, the one who died on the cross, the one who stayed in the grave for three days, the one who rose again? If you believe that, then you are opposite or separated out or basically what you are called, you are the called out ones. You are the church, the ecclesia, which literally means that you have been called out. You are the nonconformist. You're not to conform to the patterns of the world. You're to be renewed by the transforming of your mind. And so as a result, listen to what happens in this text. As we read along in Matthew chapter 16, he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, keep in mind his name was Cephas at one point, Simon Peter answers. And what does he say? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So now we have John who just claimed that he's the lamb of the God who takes away the sins of the world, and now you have Peter, right? The very Peter who eventually is going to deny Jesus three times. Peter makes a statement. You are the Messiah. In other words, you are Lord, you are king, you are ruler, you are everything, you are the one who is here to save, and you are the son of the living God. You're not to be, you're not, you're not the son of a God, You're not the son of one God or some gods. You are the son of the living God, the only God. And so there is a key statement because the power of the church rests upon this. The power of the church rests upon our confession, our foundation upon which everything else flows from. Why? Because it is his power that is at work in us. And listen to what happens. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. See, what we believe about Jesus makes all the difference in the world, first in our own lives and then in the lives of others. And here's the reason why. If I don't believe it here and I try and convince somebody else out there, you're going to fall flat on your face. That's the biggest struggle, I believe, within the church is we claim to believe stuff, but our actions deny it, right? We claim to be followers of Jesus, but yet at the same time, it's easier to go and do the ways and the things of the world rather than to be obedient to what Jesus has called us to do. See, the church is built upon the truth of God, which is the word of God, and the word of God is the foundation upon which we build everything, including our lives, And so if the church is built upon the truth of God, then we have to understand that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection is the foundation upon which everything is built in our confessions. That Jesus died on the cross, he suffered a brutal, agonizing death, and his blood was shed so that our sins would be covered and made white as snow. He lived, in, or, or he was in the grave, he was buried, he was in the grave for three days, and then he rises again, and in the midst of that resurrection, what he offers us is life, what we see in John, life more abundantly, John chapter 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life. So if a church denies that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, then it's not a church. <clears throat> I recently <clears throat> read a thing about this group of, atheists who got together and said they were going to have this atheist church. (laughs) And the reason why they started having this atheist church was because they liked the things in the church, they just didn't like the beliefs. Only problem is, you can't be a church without the beliefs upon the foundation of what Jesus says is the church. The church is the called out ones. You are called out to be different. You are called out to be sons and daughters of God. You are called out to be separated from it. And so if the church denies Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, then it's not a church. Not a church. Sorry. Not a church. Bad English. But listen to what he says. I love what he says with this word. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven, See, blessed is this idea to come to a correct conclusion. He came to a correct conclusion about who Jesus was, and as a result, he was going to be blessed in his life. As believers, we are blessed when we have a correct conclusion about who Jesus is built upon God's word, not based upon what everybody else tells us about who God is. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because this didn't come from you, but it was as a result of my father who revealed it to you, my father in Heaven. So the conclusion was revealed to him by the Father. But listen, there is something that we have to begin to understand. Acts says this, or sorry, Romans says this in chapter 1, that we can suppress the truth in our hearts. So the Father could be revealing the truth about the Son to you in your heart, but as a result, you decide to suppress the truth because it doesn't make sense. It's got to be more complicated than that. There's got to be a bigger thing I've got to do more. Matter of fact, I hear this consistently. i just got to get my life squared away, and then I can step up to the next level. I can take my next step, right? I have friends over and over and over again who are like, man, if I darken the doors of your church, it'd probably burn to the ground. <laughs> I'm like, bring it, bro. If the building burns down, who cares? We're still a church. That's the reality of what we have to begin to see and understand and play. The conclusion was revealed to him by the Father, but he didn't allow the truth to be suppressed in his heart. That when God is calling and God is drawing and when God is revealing the truth to you, that you have to deal with it in your own heart and in your own life. It's not manipulation from the pastor. It's not manipulation from anybody else. It's not letting anybody else determine the direction you go. Even outsiders who say, oh, you can't believe that. There has to be an understanding that I don't suppress the truth, that when God is working in my life and God is drawing me and God is calling me, then as a result, I don't suppress the truth, but rather I follow the truth. See, if we don't believe Jesus is who he said he is, then we won't do what Jesus has commanded us to do. Jesus praises Peter, listen, for his accurate statement and was introducing his work of building the church, and here's how he introduces it. He says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates." Of hell or Hades will not overcome it. Now, there's a number of of, of struggles or difficulties. Some people people will say that this is why, matter of fact, this is why the Catholic Church looks at Peter as the saint and acknowledges him as one who's very high up. They believe that Jesus is making a claim that they're going to build the church or Jesus is going to build the church upon Peter. The only problem is that takes away the very foundation of Jesus as the cornerstone upon which everything is built. If you read scripture, it says that Christ is the cornerstone upon which the foundation is aligned and built, and then we build upon it. So the church is built upon the cornerstone, not on Peter. Peter is not the rock. Christ is the rock. But it's the confession of Peter that is acknowledging what Jesus is saying, I will build my church on, that when you confess me as Lord, when you confess me as the one who died on the cross and rose again, now I will build my church upon that fact. And the gates of Hades, you guys understand what the gate is, right? The gate was a preeminent place. It is where authorities and rulers went and dealt with problems and and cultural things and political statements and things like that. So the gate was a place of prominence. The gate was a place of power and of influence. It had influential people. And what Jesus is saying here is that when the church builds its life upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, that the gates... The places of prominence and influence will never succeed. The gates of hell will never succeed against the church. And when we talk about this idea of hell, we have to begin to understand what hell or Hades was. Hell or Hades is the wicked, evil place. It's the place where the work of Satan takes place. It's where death reigns and rules supreme. And so when Jesus makes this statement to Peter, he says, I tell you, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will never overcome it. It's this reality, that the gates of hell will never stand against the death of God's people because there is no longer death. There is only life in Christ. And so my life in Christ begins right now where I'm at. When I confess Jesus is Lord, my life begins where I'm at right now. And death like the Bible is very clear. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? That is the beautiful news of the gospel. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin. But listen to me. that Death is not the end for a believer. Death is just the beginning of an eternal life with Christ, sitting with him acknowledging what's going on. And so we have to begin to understand that the power of everything that we do is not built upon us. It's not even built upon our confession. The confession is just an acknowledgement of the truth of who Jesus is. He is the cornerstone. He is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man. He is the one who died on the cross, who rose again, and who stands back and says, I give you all authority and all power to go out and proclaim the gospel to those who have never heard. And listen, the gates of hell will not prosper against the church that confesses Jesus as Lord. And so please hear me out when I talk about this. The church is not not the cruise ship. We've we've heard this probably said before. Matter of fact, I used to say it as this. The church is not the cruise ship. It's a battleship who's going to go into war, who's going to stand and fight against the principalities and authorities and the rulers in the heavenly realms, which is what we see. But I read not too long ago, there's a great book by a guy named J.D. Greer, who's a pastor out of North Carolina, and it's a book called Gaining by Losing. And he said, I don't think it's just a battleship. I think that the church operates as an aircraft carrier, which now that gets my heart racing because I was on an aircraft carrier in the Navy. I'm like, oh, he's speaking my love language. Death and destruction. Our whole goal was to go out and blow stuff up. Not mine, though. I was just sitting on the ship pushing buttons, Right? But I think about this, we as a church are called to go out, to launch off each weekend to launch out into our missions of where we're going to be serving at. Whether it's in my job, it's in my home, it's at the workplace, it's with my friends, it's in a sports team or whatever it is, we are launched off. So I look at it this way, like when you come to church on Sunday morning, yes, it is a refueling, right? You are getting refueled to be sent out to go and take the gospel to everybody else. But listen, this is just a landing place, this is a place where we fellowship, where we eat, where we hang out, where we encourage, where we grow. But listen, we are meant to be sent out. An aircraft carrier is not meant to float around with a bunch of planes or a bunch of jets on its, on its aircraft or on its, on its uh, uh, whatever, yeah, it, it, I can't, I'm going brain dead, uh, on its deck, on its flight deck, thank you, <laughs> okay, it's not meant to just hold those planes there. It is meant to launch them off, to send them out. And so we as a church, when we make these confessions and we call people to make these confessions, we have to understand that we are called to be sent out so the forces of evil will not stand against the church. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean you're going to win every battle. Doesn't mean it's not going to cost you. Doesn't mean it's not going to be painful. But what he says to Peter, is this, that I will build my church. And here is the key statement that I think we have to begin to understand. (laughs) I've had people say, this is my church, and you're not gonna come in and tell us what to do. As a youth pastor was in Texas, I was like, let me get away from you real quick, bro, because I don't wanna be near you. I'm not changing I've sat here, I've done these things, I've paid my dues, I've got, you get the point, right? And I said this, we're supposed to be the idea that we be in this aircraft carrier, not a cruise liner. You go on a cruise, what's it about? Comfort, ease, getting served, food wasn't the way I liked it, I'm going to go somewhere else get better food because that food was terrible. See, when the church operates as a cruise ship, we end up missing out on the biggest thing or the best benefit ever because we think it's all about us. When the reality is, as a matter of fact, I, I said this. I've said this multiple times. Our, our teenagers, when we were, when I was a youth pastor, we said this over and over and over again, and we'd say, "What's worship?" And they'd say, "It's not about us." What's the church? It's not about you. I mean, it is about you because Jesus died on the cross for you. But it's not about you and you getting your preferences and your ways and your desires that maybe listen, are outside of Scripture. Like there are lots of preferences within the church that oftentimes are built outside of Scripture. Here's the last thing. So we talked about who do people say Jesus is, who do I say Jesus is, and then here's number three, what is God building us To become. Listen, a good, healthy church, I believe this specifically a good, healthy church will build your life on the truth of the gospel. In other words, the pastor. The small group leaders, the deacons, the other pastors, everybody is going to point you to build your life upon the gospel. That is a healthy church. And a healthy church also looks and says, I grow, I'm growing in the word of God, but as I grow in the word of God, I am going out. And so now I'm going to bring us to Ephesians chapter three, verse 10, which I have preached on before as well. It's my favorite verse in all of scripture. Matter of fact, if you've heard this, you've probably heard it. If you've been here for nine years, you've heard it enough that you probably got it down. But it says this God's intent was now through the church. Who's the church? Us, the people, right? The people of God. Now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according, listen, according to God's eternal purpose. In other words, God's eternal plan. The church wasn't plan B, the church was plan A. Jesus was the sacrifice that he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And now he's coming in and Paul says, listen, we have to understand that it was according to God's eternal plan that he accomplished through Christ Jesus that he was going to make the church the very thing that speaks the truth of the gospel, that is the one that changes the culture and the impact on society because of that. So listen, Ephesians chapter 3, church is not about what you want. It never has been. It never will be. Church is about what Jesus wants and expects from each and every one of us. And listen, death is never going to be able to overcome the victorious church. So having a proper understanding of God's word leads me to have a proper belief in Jesus and professing it. I want to go with this, and I'm going to close with this because we're getting ready to enter into a time where we're going to do the Lord's Supper, but Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to read this scripture, and I just want you to sit and reflect as we listen to what God says in his word, Romans chapter 10, starting in verse eight. It says this, the word is near to you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. and It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never... Be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We as a church, we talk about the confession of Jesus, but we have to believe this, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the very essence of what we are called to do, to be the very thing that God is building us into becoming, or to be is this, that we want to be people who want to see people say that right there. That I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe that God raised him from the dead. Because that is the very essence with which everything in all of life is built upon. Acts chapter four, verse 12 says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. So listen. Listen. You may be a person who would sit here and say, I've made that decision a long time ago. And it's great to believe it. It is the foundation upon which we build our lives. But belief has to lead to action as well that we don't remain silent, that we walk in obedience. Why? Because Jesus is building his church. And he said it very clearly. The gates of hell will not prevail. See, the gates of hell want people to experience death, destruction, chaos, turmoil, hatred, war. When Jesus sits back and says, I want them to experience life and peace and joy and hope and forgiveness of sins, all of which aren't available from Satan. All of which are not a part of Satan's plan. But they are a part of God's plan. The church is a body of people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation and who proclaim his good news. So, as we look at that, I want you to look at this. I got a picture of an aircraft carrier. This is USS Ronald Reagan. This is actually bigger than my aircraft carrier. I was on the Nimitz, 1,115 feet long. This one's even bigger. The beauty of that picture right now is those planes are all on deck and they're parked and they're ready to be launched. They are U.S. Navy fighter planes, fighter jets, fighter weapons that literally extend the influence of the United States around the world. You and I are called to extend the influence of Jesus around the world, not to stay parked on the flight deck, chopped down and chained up in case we hit rough seas, but to be launched, to be catapulted, to be sent out, to proclaim the good news of Jesus around the world. And so as we come to that, I just want to offer this as a simple invitation. I'm going to have the praise team come up. A simple invitation. Number one, we always want to offer this, that if a person has never put their faith and trust in Christ, that you can do it right where you're at. Let us know about it. You can connect with us on the connection card. You can let us know about it. I'm going to be up here. We're going to pray as we sing this song, but we're going to enter into a time of, of just an invitation. As we enter into this time of invitation, I want you to think about it in this way. God, what are you calling me to do? For some of you, it may be the simple fact that you are being called to put your faith and trust, to make it public to somebody else, to everybody else, that I believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. For others of you, it's just the fact that you got to be launched off. You got to look at Sunday as the time. I'm coming in. I'm getting refueled to be sent out. I am carrying the weapons of warfare, right? Our battle's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, I am carrying the weapons of warfare against the enemy, and that is the truth of God's word. And I'm carrying light into darkness. So, just where you're at, I'm going to ask you to pray, every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, would you reveal to each and every person here through the power of your Spirit? what it is you are calling them to do. God, I have no doubt that maybe there are some here, maybe they're even watching online, that you are are calling, you have revealed the truth to them, the truth of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, that you are revealing it to them right now and I know the struggle and the battle and the war, the war that is raging right now, that I can suppress the truth, that I can deal with this later, that I'm, I'm listening to everybody else on the outside instead of listening to you and what you're calling them to do. So Father, help them not be worried, afraid, or thinking about what everybody else thinks. But to step out in boldness and say, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus for the first time. The Bible is very clear that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, right where you're at. That he is Lord, he is Messiah, he is King. He is the Savior of the world. If you confess that with your mouth and then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are to be saved. And So here's what we want to do. Just where you're at that's your decision. That's the moment, the the decision you're making. We want you to make that public. So if it's here in person, we're going to ask you, you can fill out the connection card. Let's know at the end of the service. If you're online, just send us a message. But here's what we're going to do. We're entering into a time where we're going to do the Lord's Supper communion. And here's what I want you to know. If you are a believer, you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, you have followed him, you have said this is the way, then you are acknowledging his broken body, his sacrifice for you on the cross and his blood that was shed. And so here's how we're gonna do this. We're gonna ask you to come up here in the next 30 seconds as I kind of wrap this up. We're gonna ask you to grab this. As you come up, I'm gonna have two plates. You can come down either side. We're gonna ask you to grab, there are two cups In each slot, there's a cup underneath that has the bread, and there's the cup on top, so you can kind of see it there. Grab two of them, head back to your seat. We're going to do the Lord's Supper here in a brief moment after you've done that. So we're going to do that. Go ahead and turn the lights up there, Joe, a little bit, or Kay, sorry. Father, we know that your body was broken for us, and your blood was shed for us, so that we would not be held responsible for the sins that we so easily commit. God, I think of Scripture. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we thank you for the good news that Jesus didn't go to the cross and go, it was only just for some, but it was for all who would acknowledge your death, burial, and resurrection. They would believe it and confess. So God, we pray that this would be an honoring time. It's in Jesus' name I pray.